Welcome to the biggest thing to hit the financial advisory ESG community, environmental, social, and governance. I'm Jonathan Kavaznik, CHFC Wealth Advisor. With over 25 years advisory experience, I've been advising clients so they can make a positive global impact. Hello, and welcome to the ESG Players Podcast with your host, Jonathan Kavaznik, one of the leading ESG advisors in the country. How to maximize popular deductions. So there are some deductions that we can take, but maybe there's some things in our strategies that you and I can do to maximize those that we might not have done in the same uh, practical way. We want to take advantage potentially of lower tax brackets, meaning the lower tax brackets are in, in effect today, but also maybe keeping ourselves in a lower tax bracket by using some of the strategies that we're going to talk about and whether or not those make sense. And then we're going to talk about strategies you can use for estate planning under the new law, right? Whether or not they preserve the step up in cost basis for our investments and appreciation, taking advantage of the increased annual exemptions amounts and planning as a result of the SECURE Act. So those are all the things that we wanna talk about. All right, so let's talk about the first idea. So some people may have thought of this and it's a great strategy. Some people may feel like this might be a little bit too much to enact and give away to a charity, but we're gonna go through this idea because it's potential that you could save a, a lot in taxes by what we call consider lumping your charitable gifts, right? So remember, because uh, our standardized deduction is up to 12,500 for an individual, right? And it's at uh, 24,000 uh, for a household, we wanna keep in mind that if we can lump our deductions together, and get ourselves the opportunity to maybe itemize because we can get over that threshold, we would get a better tax benefit by doing that. And this is a, a scenario and we'll walk through it together and it's a little busy on the slide, but I'm gonna do my best to make sure we can kind of follow along, right? So this is the assumption. Husband and wife, H&W, they're age 65 and they wanna donate, which they do, $10,000 annually to a charity. Maybe it's a church, maybe it's a nonprofit, maybe it's a social services, right? And then they have their deductions, which include, remember we said that $10,000 is for their local and SALT, right? State tax is maxed out. They can only do $10,000 if they even have that amount. They can max out at say $7,000 for their mortgage interest. And then they're in a marginal tax bracket of 22%. And so currently you can see in the slide, the annual gifts line is each year in 2021, 22 and 23, they have been giving the $10,000 annual contribution to the church. However, it doesn't get them the ability then to itemize. So what is the result? If they actually just did everything in one year, gave the $30,000 in 2021, and then didn't give anything for two more years, and then every three years, they lumped their contributions to the charity together. What is the result? Well, let's see what it says. With an annual gifting, their total deduction would have been 27,000, it says uh, 800, and that's the three years. So they, they had their donation, they had their salt, and they had their mortgage interest. But if they had lumped it together, they would have actually done $30,000 because the annual gift to the charity would have been on top of the 27,800. And that resulted in a much larger tax savings of approximately $4,000, and that's assuming they're only in a 22% marginal tax bracket. And so again, we'll look at the marginal tax brackets, 
And many of us uh, might be in a higher tax bracket, which means the savings potentially could be even higher. However, you can see that we're getting an extra tax benefit if we can lump that together and itemize rather than doing the standard deduction and then not getting to take any benefit for the contribution to the charity because of the inability for us to get enough itemized deductions to overcome our standardized one. Okay, so let's talk about donating on IRAs, which is another way, right? We just talked about maybe lumping together our annual contributions into one year, checking with our tax advisor, finding out if that's a potential uh, benefit to me as a taxpayer and as an investor, and then talking to your financial advisor and working through that to see where's the best place potentially to make that happen, all right? Another area is we can donate our IRA assets potentially uh, to a charity, right? So another idea around that is to give your charity and your uh, donations directly out of an IRA through that Qualified Charitable Distribution. And the acronym again is QCD. So this provision allows retirees, if you're over 70 and a half and older, you can donate up to $100,000 from your IRA tax-free each year to a charity. So remember, generally when you take a distribution from your IRA and then you go to make a donation, you're gonna treat it as taxable income to yourself. But under this provision made permanent in 2015, those assets now will be excluded from your income if you actually just distribute directly to the charity from your IRA. So this is where you really need to work closely with your financial advisor and your tax advisor and making sure you have the opportunity to do that and coordinating that and getting that to happen. Remember, the distribution is not included in your income, so you avoid the negative consequences of a regular IRA distribution withdrawal can make. It includes, it might potentially make your Social Security benefits taxable. And again, this would be an opportunity for us to maybe avoid that by making the distribution directly to the charity or nonprofit, as opposed to taking it out as a distribution and then trying to make it, right? Normally, charitable contribution deductions are limited to a lower percentage of our income potentially. And for taxpayers who did not itemize and who also take the standard deduction, then you may potentially find yourself not getting any benefit by making the charity a contribution by doing it with cash, by writing out a check or making a donation. So it's important for clients to consider your tax situation before deciding whether or not you should do a charitable distribution and contribution from your IRA. But let's look at the slide and summarize, right? You gotta be 70 and a half years or older to do it. The distribution must go straight from your IRA account to the qualified charity, not passing through you. Currently, there's a limit though of $100,000 annual per IRA owner. Of course, if you're married and your spouse has one as well, now you're talking you can do a $200,000 a tax-free potentially to a charity distribution. And what are the benefits? You keep your RMD lower because now you didn't receive the income, so it might not negatively affect your Social Security benefits or your Medicare because it's not going to be income that comes on to your tax return. You avoid the aggregate uh, income threshold for charitable gifts. You may benefit uh, state taxes, and some states do not uh, allow residents to deduct a charitable contribution. Um, I think most people on the call today are in Minnesota, but again, if you're outside of Minnesota and you're watching our webinar and attending, you want to double check. Some states have different rules on whether or not you're going to get to deduct that. And 
It may benefit legacy planning by preserving the assets, which may benefit from a step up in cost basis where the IRA is taxable to your heirs. Again, remember, if I pass away and I leave my IRA, my taxable accounts to my heirs, it's not tax-free to them. They're gonna have to distribute that money to themselves somehow, and they're gonna have to claim it as income. Maybe, as this is showing us, if I use my IRAs to fund my charitable gifts now, I could preserve taxable accounts that have step-ups, and those are the assets that my heirs would inherit rather than my IRAs that they're gonna potentially have to pay taxes on. So it's a very interesting strategy that we all wanna be aware of and really find out if it's something that you can take advantage of and whether you should be implementing this now rather than waiting and giving up these annual benefits that you could potentially use. So let's talk about lower tax rates benefit the Roth IRA conversion. So I mentioned that in 2018, the uh, TCGA, which was the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, right? The tax bracket rates actually went down, the marginal tax rates compared to what it was in 2017. And so why is this important, okay? Because if we have a thoughtful strategy of utilizing Roth IRA accounts, it can be an effective way for you and I to hedge against the threat of facing higher taxes in the future. Why is that? Because younger investors or taxpayers are in a lower tax bracket now, should consider using the Roth IRA account to create a source of tax-free income in retirement, right? Remember, the Roth IRA is tax-free, not tax-deferred under the right rules. So it's virtually impossible for you and I, right, to predict the tax rates in the future or to have a good idea of what your personal tax circumstances will look like years from now. But like all income from retirement accounts, the Roth income is not subject to the new 3.8 surtax. And it also is not included in the calculation for my $200,000 income threshold as an individual or $250,000 for couples to determine whether the surtax applies. So that's really important. An IRA owner considering a conversion to a Roth IRA also should carefully evaluate, right, whether that tax transaction, since the option to recharacterize or undo a Roth conversion is no longer available. Again, it used to be in the past, you could convert it and if you changed your mind later in the year, you could put it back. That rule is gone. So once you make the step to do the conversion, you have to live with that and you cannot undo it at any time and rethink that. So this chart compares the tax brackets created under the TCGA with the previous brackets. And you can see we can benefit again now from the lower marginal tax brackets. So how are we gonna do that? Maybe we're gonna convert our traditional IRA assets to, an Roth, to a Roth IRA in some situations, right? In particular, some taxpayers, you may see an opportunity with converting assets up to a certain threshold. And this example is showing us potentially that up to a $250,000 income threshold, there may be a benefit in converting your IRA assets that are traditional and pre-tax to a Roth IRA, which is after tax now and tax free potentially, right? So you can see on the slide at the point of a married couple, they're in the 24% marginal tax bracket, but they were in a 33% tax bracket prior to 2018. So potentially that's a pretty big uh, difference in the taxable portion of converting when you go from 33% down to 24% for people who are making under and up to $250,000. So, what does that mean? The tax on $250,000 of income 
under the new scenario is, is $48,579. And under the old, it was $57,717. So you can see it's, a, it's really a, a $9,000 difference in the amount of taxes we're paying because of the lower rate if we stay below that threshold. And this is something, again, we want to visit with and find out if it makes sense for us, and potentially we can take advantage of that. So remember, it's important to note, though, that the TCGA eliminated my recharacterization option, right? Meaning that once I convert, I cannot go back. That is gone. So when may it, may it make sense to do the conversion? Many uh, tax practitioners and advisors believe that it made more sense to execute a Roth IRA conversion early in the calendar year in the past, because that would allow you the calendar year then to change your mind and put it back if you were wrong. So for example, if you had converted in January of 2017, you would actually have until your tax filing deadline, which potentially would have been you know, the year end plus a six month extension to decide whether or not you wanted to keep the conversion, which really would take you into October of the following year. That's almost 20 months to determine if you made the right choice. Now that recharacterization option has been repealed. So what does that mean? Under the new rule, once you convert, say in 2021, you cannot try to change that going forward once the account has been converted. So it's better maybe to wait to closer to the year end so you can see what your income looks like so you can kind of see what tax bracket you're gonna be in because once you do it, you won't be able to turn back. And so that's another thing to take into account, the timing of in the year when you look at whether or not you wanna convert and talking to your tax advisor and determining if that makes a lot of sense or not in your current situation, okay? So Roth accounts can hedge the risk of higher taxes in the future. That's what we're talking about, right? Is that if you're gonna be able to convert something and utilize even a contribution or a conversion to get tax-free money later, potentially that can really be a hedge if taxes become higher than they currently are in the future. So again, given the uncertainty of taxes in the future and combined with the fact that most retirees Oh, the very large amount of our retirement assets, right? Retirees have a lot of their net worth and their assets are really in traditional IRAs or pre-taxed retirement accounts, and they need some sort of diversification potentially for that. And so utilizing a Roth strategy can really provide some tax-free income in retirement and help us hedge the risk that we're in higher tax brackets in the future and rates are higher. And now we have the opportunity with higher tax rates to be able to withdraw money and filling up our tax-free withdrawal buckets by having money under the umbrella of the Roth IRA. Again, a tax professional really, I would say, is who can help you determine whether or not adding more income before the end of the year makes sense or not to your already earned income or your already uh, investment income. But you want to push that number with the tax advisor and the tax professional and find out, is this a year where I could potentially convert and get some money into the Roth IRA that will help me in the future by paying no taxes on it in years where potentially I would have paid a lot more. So lastly on this idea is that there's an alternative way for higher income taxpayers also to fund a Roth IRA. And we have some clients of our own here that are doing it. And there's a few uh, nuances that we have to be aware of because a lot of times taxpayers at higher income levels are prohibited from contributing straight in with new money to a Roth IRA. So for example, in 2020, if your income is over 124,000 as an individual, 
or I'm married and I file jointly and my income's over $196,000, I would not be able to make a Roth IRA contribution normally, right? So I'd say to myself, maybe I want to consider funding a non-deductible IRA. And a lot of people are confused by that, but I do have the opportunity, if I choose, to open up an IRA account that's non-deductible. So it's not a Roth IRA, it's not a traditional tax deductible IRA, it's a non-deductible IRA. And then I'm allowed, if I follow certain rules, to convert that non-deductible IRA to a Roth IRA. And the reason I wanna do that is because there's no income rule for doing that like there would be if I tried to go straight to the Roth IRA first, all right? However, we have to remember there's some things we have to take into account. And that is that if you have existing pre-tax IRA accounts, including SEP plans or simple plans and things of that nature, those also have to be taken into account when you do the conversion. So again, this is a little complex. It's a great way if a client or yourself doesn't have a lot of pre-tax IRAs left and you would like to convert and get money in or make even a contribution because you're still working, and following some rules, you potentially can get some new money into a Roth IRA account, but we have to really look at it comprehensively overall, what other accounts you have that are pre-taxed and what this might do in triggering those. But again, we do have clients that are able to do this and we wanna review this and see if it's an opportunity for you. Check with your financial advisor, check with your accountant and, and tax attorney and see if it makes sense annually for you to do that, all right? Again, Roth IRA accounts are a hedge against higher taxes in the future. So consider tactical Roth conversions, maybe when you're topping off a tax bracket, as the slide shows, right? You're at the threshold, but you got a little bit more room at the lower marginal rate. Do a Roth contribution to your 401k plan maybe makes sense. Find out if you're allowed to do Roth contributions under the umbrella of the 401k plan. And lastly, there are alternative ways to fund the Roth IRA account, even if your income threshold says you can't. You can go through the exercise of determining some of the things I talked about and whether or not you're capable of converting a non-deductible IRA to a Roth. And lo and behold, getting yourself a tax-free account, uh, even though your income might have shown that you didn't think you could. All right, let's move on to some estate planning ideas and considerations for tax strategies for the current landscape. The doubling of the lifetime exclusion changes the landscape for many of us doing estate and gifting, right? Remember, however, many states have their own death tax in place. I mentioned earlier, right? Some examples, Massachusetts at the state level for estate tax is only a million dollars. Minnesota worth at $3 million, but the federal rate, right, is at 11 million. So keep that in mind when we're doing our planning, we wanna account for what state we're a resident of, and what is the threshold for that state for the estate tax? A lot of times we get um, co-mingled with the idea of a state tax and income tax, and we wanna separate those. The estate tax is gonna be a tax at death that is associated with the estate that someone leaves behind and whether or not it's subject to that. There still potentially will be income taxes at much lower estates, depending on what kind of assets are held in the estate but we're talking about estate tax, okay? And because now we have such a high one uh, at $11 million, a lot of the planning that people used to do uh, 15, 20 years ago, because the thresholds were so low, may or may not 
make sense anymore. And so we want to be aware of that. The other thing that uh, people are doing and is potential is if we have a very high net worth is to look at whether or not working with a trust uh, company that maybe is domiciled outside of Minnesota. An example would be Nevada and Delaware don't have an estate tax uh, at the state level. And so potentially if we hold assets in a trust because that makes sense for us and we wanna pass those along, maybe it makes sense not to pick a trust company that's in Minnesota. Maybe it'll make sense for you to pick a trust company that's domiciled in another state that doesn't have that estate tax. And depending on the size of your estate, that could be a huge potential windfall to your beneficiaries by taking that extra step to research that and examine that and go through that exercise. Again, so let's talk about considerations. We wanna review your existing trust to determine if the language in them, again, a lot of people have very old documents. The numbers have changed a lot in the last 10 years, 15 years. Make sure that you have yours up to date. Be mindful if your state has its own death tax rate that's different than the state you're a resident uh, for federal. Plan for a uh, low cost basis property, right? You wanna ensure that if you own a lot of assets not in retirement accounts, maybe it's real estate or stocks or things that have appreciated, maybe those are the things you wanna pass through to your beneficiaries and not use those as an asset to live on. Again, HNW, high net worth families may want to consider a gifting strategy um, while they're alive to take advantage of that $11 million exclusion and not wait until they pass to move their assets to their beneficiaries and work with a professional, right? Because again, all of these are gonna sunset and potentially won't make any sense in the year 2026 if they sunset and they don't reenact the same numbers. And so we have to revisit that and keep attuned what happens when that happens to the uh, tax codes and whether or not we're okay still, but we want to be aware of that. We want to know 2025 and 2026 are important times for us to review and make sure what's changed and what hasn't. All right, so let's talk about gifting. Um, now before the sunset law, right? So the increase of the BEA, which uh, if we look at this slide, it's along the left-hand side of the bar chart, right? It says basic exclusion amount, right? So in 2017, I mentioned the number of $11 million now, 11.7, right? But in 2017, it was 5.49. So for again, high net worth people, we wanna keep account of what this number looks like and also keep an account that it has a sunset provision. So this isn't forever, right? The, the Treasury Department will address this proposed regulation by, de by um, determining whether or not there would be any clawback. So we have to be really careful in how we do our planning that we don't do something that they determine somehow we did and that they're able to say, well, we're gonna claw back because you did it under the old rules and now it's the new rules or we have our documents that didn't state the language correctly. So again, if you're a high net worth individual, which some of us are, and we're over these thresholds, uh, or we're close to those thresholds, if we own a business or real estate in our investment portfolios, keep that in mind, right? We wanna include all of these ideas so that we might wanna assume a gifting program where we're alive now at the current tax code, rather than waiting for our beneficiaries to inherit our assets potentially at a much higher rate um, and following the estate tax code, and, and that could change. So let's talk a little bit about planning for the new 10-year rule on inherited retirement accounts, right? So again, 
That rule changed um, in 2019. So let's talk about it. Careful designation of beneficiaries are really important, right? So designate a beneficiary who may be in a lower tax bracket and leave other assets such as appreciated assets that are outside of your retirement accounts who will benefit from that step up in cost basis might make a lot of sense, right? Leaving my taxable accounts to the people in lower tax brackets and my accounts that wouldn't be taxed uh, very much, if at all, to my heirs that are in higher incomes. Again, it's a little complex and it takes a lot of planning, but remember, passing the retirement account to more beneficiaries also will spread the inheritance among more taxpayers because each taxpayer who inherits my retirement account it's going to go on their own tax return. It's not going to be aggregate together. It's going to be whatever that individual. So this also might help control the ability for people not to be in a higher marginal tax rate when they receive inherited retirement accounts. You know, while two beneficiaries can spread the inheritance uh, income across each other twice, so over 10 years, that would give them 20 times to do it, leaving it to a five would increase it to 50 opportunities to have distributions over 50 different tax returns. So again, we wanna look at that as carefully designating and how it's gonna get dispersed, uh, the tax efficiency timing of the distributions, right? When does it make sense to withdraw over the 10 year period? So an heir will want to plan distributions from the retirement accounts in conjunction with other income that I might have and other variables, right? So for example, some heirs may benefit from prorating withdrawals from the retirement account just blanket over the 10 years, and others may want to withdraw more during years when income is lower or they have better deductions or they're making charitable contributions, right? So again, year to year, you might find that the 10-year timeline um, isn't even, right? And then do Roth conversions while the account owner is alive, right, before they pass away, should they consider doing conversions rather than waiting until they pass away and missing that opportunity? And then some of the advanced opportunities might be leaving your IRA to a charitable remainder trust um, into other uh, more complex uh, opportunities where the person could utilize some of the principal, but there's a nice tax deduction and it changes how the IRA would get taxed. And maybe it can involve some life insurance and doing ways to set up trusts and life insurance trusts and things of that way so that you can pass it in a different manner. Again, these are all concepts, and I don't want to get too deep into the advanced ones, that you want to consider with how you're going to either yourself have to take distributions from an IRA with the new 10-year rule that you inherit, or how you expect your beneficiaries and your heirs to handle the 10-year rules on accounts they're going to inherit from you. We want to keep that in mind when we're setting up our beneficiaries and keep this in mind when we're doing our planning each year on how our accounts are getting distributed and taxed. So estate planning is more than just the taxes, of course, right? So we want to think about that and, and, and talk about critical to review and update our wills and beneficiary designations, revocable living trusts, transfer properties outside of the probate system, you know, having a healthy proxy for healthcare and advanced medical directive, having a power of attorney, or having guardianship established. Again, this is things you'll set up with an estate planning attorney, and it's all part of your overall tax planning and estate planning, but we want to keep that into mind, okay? I'm just going to show this slide. I'm not going to go into much detail here because we're running up against our timeline, but if you're a business owner, 
Um, you know, one of the things to talk about and, and to really consider is this new qualified business income of 20% that you can exclude from uh, your compensation and get uh, that tax benefit. You know, talk to your tax advisor on that. And then I just want to talk about here's how it works with your income. So again, it gets phased out, but if someone has a, a business and, and is self-employed and has uh, some business income, there's some benefits you get now that the 20% QBI uh, that you want to talk again with the tax advisor and see if that's something that you want to make sure you can take advantage of by keeping yourself in certain tax brackets. So closing thoughts, right? So most taxpayers are benefiting from a pretty low uh, tax rate scenario currently if we compare it to it historically or potentially in the future. So carefully consider uh, you know, what risk we wanna to take to hedge against future problems that we might have and higher tax rates. And again, really work with the professionals, your financial advisor, your CPA, and your estate planning attorney to figure out the best strategies to withdraw the income from, okay? Just wanna emphasize again, um, if you have any further questions and you want to talk about this in more depth, feel free to reach out to me you know, here at Bank Cherokee with Cherokee Investments. You can go to our website at uh, www.bankcherokee.com. Uh, we have the opportunity to go on there and find some information uh, in regards to some of these thoughts. If you'd like a copy of the a webinar that we did today, just send us a message and say, hey, I'd like a copy of those slides for your own review, and we can send those to you in an email format so that you'll be able to uh, view those and see if there's anything that you might have missed out on that you would like a little more information on. So again, I would like to thank everyone for attending today. I'm hoping that you got some valuable information on taxes and tax planning and uh, utilizing some of these strategies. We're gonna have another webinar, of course, next month, and we hope you'll be able to join us. Uh, and again, I wanna thank you so much for attending today. I really enjoyed sharing these great ideas with you and hopefully you'll be able to implement some of them in your personal situation. Thank you and have a great day. He's offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC, Jonathan B. Kovacnik, CHFC, registered representative, advisory services offered through Securities America Advisories, Inc., Cherokee Investment Services, Bank Cherokee, and Securities America are separate companies, not FDIC insured, no bank guarantees, may lose value, not insured by any government agency, not bank deposits.